0: Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in worship. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping, even though the times are a little complicated. We ask that you would be with us today. We ask that you would lead us and guide us in all truth according to the promise of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These are important days in the life of our nation. Tuesday's election and what may come of it. And I thought it was important, therefore, to uh, share from Jesus' heart, as we can discern that, what he thinks is important. You know, we keep thinking that the very most, uh, what is the very most important thing in front of us? Is it some kind of political identification? Is it your opinions? Or is it my opinions? Is it the political pundit's opinions? What is the most important thing that's in front of us? We're going to try and identify things the most important to us. Uh, what's really first, not what we say is first, but what really is first, is we can demonstrate that with our attitudes, our commitments of time, our commitments of money, our commitments of effort. Those things show us what's really first. I think I've shared before that we can do the the uh, calendar and a uh, checkbook tests to see what's really important in our lives. Measuring our time and our Commitment of our resources. The 2020 Super Bowl. Can you remember way back in the beginning of the year? The 2020 Super Bowl brought in 99.9 million television viewers. I think there might have been a local team involved in that Super Bowl, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Baseball had a truncated season, and the Dodgers won the World Series. I'm not sure they're going to put a giant asterisk next to that in the record books. Are Major League sports the most important thing? No, I don't think they are, even though sometimes we act like they are. Well, tucked away in the Sermon on the Mount is a single sentence that captures the essence of Christian living. For people individually, for per- people personally, and for churches together. So let's see. I'm going to read through this passage in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter f- uh, 6, excuse me, verses 25 to 34. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Let's see if you can pick out that single sentence that identifies this essence of Christian living. Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Did you pick out the single sentence? Did you hear it? Verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I think if we throw ourselves fully into that verse, we can find the key to the way ahead for us. For our church, for us personally, and for us to understand what's important, not only in an election season, but always what is the most important thing. What's Jesus doing in this passage? He's preaching what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It may be the most studied sermon of all time. It's probably not the most lived out sermon of all time, but it's certainly the most studied. Let me just share with you a couple of other things that Jesus says in this Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's full of the blesseds. Remember those? They're called the Beatitudes, the Blesseds. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Down in verse 13 of chapter 5, you're the salt of the earth. Down in chapter 14, you're the light of the world. All these things are packed into the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a wonderful exposition of those things that Jesus identifies as kind of anchoring truths for our relationship with him. In the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called his disciples to realize the great difference that life with him is supposed to make in our lives. He comes to fulfill the law. Gives us the Lord's Prayer, which we'll say together a little bit later. And Jesus does in the passage, though, that we focused on, Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, He does what He does a lot when He's teaching. He uses what we call inductive reasoning. He is working His way, building a case for His conclusion. So He starts with those things that occupy our attention. And He knows that what often occupies our attention is this little word called worry, worry. Now, true confession, I am sometimes a worrier. Lately I've been worried about lots of things. worried to the point of regular sleeplessness sometimes. I worry about my kids and my grandkids and how they're going to navigate these health crisis times and how they're going to navigate the economic issues that have been forced upon us by the health crisis times. I'm worried that in the middle of the conversations we have about the crazy world that we inhabit, physically and politically, that we lose our way ahead relationally. I'm worried that in the middle of this political season, Christians have lost their their integrity of witness and their capacity to speak truth and love. I'm worried about the future of this historic church. 162 years of impacting not only the community of Emporia and Lyon County, but the world for Jesus Christ. I'm worried as we look around, and we've talked about, over the past uh, couple, three years now, we've talked about the diminishing uh, metrics that we use to kind of measure the health of a church. I'm worried about that. And I'm sure if you wanted to this morning, you could fill in the blank with your own worries. And I know that these times have been times that have amped up, have ramped up, have amplified our tendency to worry sometimes. Now I have moments when I talk myself down from the worry, but then something else precipitates the worrying. Early on in the pandemic, Pastor Laura and I decided we were watching the news every day. We usually watch the PBS NewsHour. And we were watching it every day, but we realized that watching it day after day after day after day was just kind of building this anxiety about what was happening and what wasn't happening, and so we decided we are going to quit doing that. So we're only watching on Mondays and Fridays now, because that's enough anxiety for us. <laughs> so I realized this morning that, you know, I need to hear this as much as anyone. And Jesus, knowing us as he does... Knowing that we tend to be preoccupied worry wards, Jesus says, don't make second place things, don't make secondary things into the main thing. Don't, let, don't set our attention on those lesser things. And what does he include in those lesser things? All of those things that tend to preoccupy us, generate stress in our lives and distress us. And we could add, I think, to those list of things he talks about, a category E. You remember those on your multiple choice tests, right? E, all of the above? All of the above. And he rolls all of that stuff up into an overarching command in verse 25. He says, Do not worry about life. And the word that he uses here in the New Testament for life is a very interesting word. It's the word suke. And it's a word that describes a comprehensive. Understanding of what it is to life. It's a word that's sometimes translated to the, the seat of life or life itself. It's more than just physical life, which in the Greek of the New Testament is the word bios. It's more than just a description of the body, which in the Greek of the New Testament is the word soma. No, this is suke. This is the whole being. This is the entirety of a life that Jesus says we get concerned about. So he talks about food and clothing here, but those, those are just tangible representations. This is not an exhaustive list. These are just tangible uh, manifestations of those things that we tend to focus our attention on and worry about. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. Now, Jesus, a smart guy. Back in New England and in the Boston area, they would have said, wicked smile. He knew that these preoccupations get our attention, and so he uses them to make a point. And he uses the word, therefore. Now, whenever you see the word, therefore, in the Bible, it's like a rearview mirror. It's reflecting back to what has come, the teaching that has already been, and the anchored conclusion flows from that teaching. Therefore, and the therefore here refers back to things like, having treasures in heaven instead of treasures on earth. Like trying to serve two masters and not doing either one very well. So, why are we to not worry? Well, first, Jesus says so. On one level, it's kind of a matter of obedience, right? But Jesus is not some petulant parent, some frustrated, exasperated parent. He rarely goes at it because, I said so. As parents and grandparents, you know you've said those words. Mom, why do I have to? Dad, why do I have to? Because I said so. Jesus could say, because I said so. But that's not how he goes at it. He packs several reasons into this passage why we should not worry. And one of those reasons is that we should be pursuing life. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus talks about life with him as life to the full. Life that is overflowing with a sense of his presence and power. Life to the full is more important than the pursuit of stuff, Jesus says. Way back in the 1970s, when I was just a wee little lad, and Steve Haught was not, I shared with the story, study groups, this story about this, the Iran hostage crisis. You remember that way back from the last century, right? And one of those hostages, it was a woman named Catherine who had been a devout practicing Christian her entire life. And they got to the first Christmas where they were going to be held in captivity. And she, she wrote about this later. She said, all right, this is it. I'm going to see now in this Christmas if what I really believe about Jesus is really true or not. I'm not gonna have any of the trappings. No trees, no bells, no flowers, no, uh, no, no decorations, no presents, none of that stuff. Is it really true or not? Here, absence, all that stuff. That's life to the full. It's an understanding that the trappings are not what makes up the life. The, the relationship with Jesus is what makes up the life. Life to the full. And why else in this passage does he say we shouldn't worry? We shouldn't worry because in verses 26 and 30, Jesus points out here that God values people above everything. Interesting word in our language as our language uh, changes over the course of the years is a word that's been introduced called speciism. Speciism is a kind of, I'm going to use the words politically correct idea, that rank ordering in creation is human hubris. It's false pride on our behalf to say that we're better than the slug that's walking across the sidewalk right now. I'm talking about an actual animal slug, not a person that you might think is a slug. You got that difference, right? Well, there is rank order. Back in the book of Genesis, it's crystal clear that you represent the crowning act of God's creation. You're more important than a bird or a flower. But Jesus uses these basics of human existence and compares our value to that of creatures and says, God cares more about those things than even you do. God cares more about your concerns than even you do. And I hold on to this, Uh, particularly when my kids were teenagers and now as my grandkids are approaching these eras of life, when they stray, because they do stray, right? They find incredibly creative ways to stray. Why don't they apply some of that energy to doing their homework? And so we get concerned about our kids and our grandkids as they stray, and I I hold on to this, that as much as we as parents and grandparents care about our kids, God cares even more. In fact, hard to imagine, but true, that our level of care and concern for our kids and grandkids is, doesn't even hold a candle, a small little candle to the amount of care that God has for them. He loves them. Before they were your idea, he was, they were his idea. So, why else shouldn't we worry? Because in verse 27, Jesus makes it clear that you and I have a complete incapacity to add even one hour to our lives by worrying. Of all human endeavors, worry might be the most futile endeavor. You know about futile endeavors, right? Like, uh, well, preventing Pastor Laura from making me wear outrageous outfits on Sunday morning. That's a futile endeavor. <laughs> me stop ordering from Amazon.com. That's a futile endeavor. But worry is even more futile than either of those things. In fact, worry won't add an hour to our lives. In fact, Worry might subtract time from our lives. Worry begets stress. Now, there's some healthy stress, but there's some, a lot of not healthy stress. Some stats, because you love stats. 43% of all adults suffer adverse health effects from stress. 75 to 90% of all doctor's office visits have some connection to stress-related ailments. Stress can play a part in problems like headaches, blood pressure, heart problems, diabetes, skin conditions, asthma, arthritis, depression, anxiety. The Occupational Safe and Healthy Health Administration has declared that stress is a hazard of the workplace. They estimate that stress costs American industry more than $300 billion a year. Why else shouldn't we worry Because in verse 32, Christians are supposed to look different and act differently from people who do not know Jesus. Verse 32, Jesus says, the pagans run after all these things. He's talking about people who do not have a connection to God. Worry characterized the pagan religions that were abundant in the day and time of Jesus. And even today... Non-Christian religions are largely driven by the insecurity of performance. Have I done enough to be worthy of standing in the presence of God? Have I done enough? Christianity says, no, you'll never do enough. Christianity says, Jesus did it all. Christianity says, hold on to him because he did it. He's our proxy for being able to stand in the presence of God. And really, really I think that worry is kind of a, and remember I say this as a worrier, sufferer myself, I think worry is kind of a practical atheism. It's a denial of the goodness and power and mercy of God. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever just occurs to God? All of those things that just occur to us that move us in the direction of worry, all those things have been foreseen and accounted for by a loving, living God. Why else not to worry, Jesus says in this passage, because our focus is supposed to be on today. Verse 34, every day has enough trouble of its own. Right? Why pay forward worry? Why borrow worry from Tomorrow, or the next day, or the next year, or the next whatever. Because if 2020 has taught us everything, we have no idea what's around the corner. No idea whatsoever what's around the corner. So Christians, living in the day, living lives to the full, ought to be the most engaged people on the planet. Living lives of purpose, engaged in, yes, wise planning. James chapter 4 tells us that. But those plans are always given over to God. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our plans are subordinate to the plans of God. And if we give our plans over to God, then really there's no place for us to think about and there's no need for us to worry. Now I feel a little bit this morning like talking about not worrying. It's a little bit like spitting into the wind. Right? You don't tug on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind. You that song, right, Joseph? You remember that song. I know Steve remembers that song. Because it feels even, as we talk about it, it feels like we want to worry about not worrying. That's who we are. Okay, I'm going to worry about how not to worry. But Jesus says, how do we not worry? Watch what he does here. He builds to the very most important thing. First, he says, here's how we don't worry. We realize that God is in the business of supplying our needs. Not our wants, but our needs. Verse 33, all these things will be given to you. Now, you and I, we have trouble sometimes discerning our needs from our wants. That's a problem we all have. But our needs, God has said he's going to meet those needs. And how else do we not Worry, we shift our focus from the stuff and issues and concerns and personal agendas that tend to occupy our attention to the most important thing. Verse 33, the kingdom of God is the most important thing. Kingdom priorities. We set our hearts on looking for, attaching ourselves to, and serving kingdom priorities. Now what in the world are those We've talked about this a lot. What are the kingdom priorities? There's two. Dos. Zwei. That was German. if you didn't know. There's two. Love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. And love our neighbors as ourselves. We pour ourselves into those things. And as we do those things, we're living life to the full. And as we are doing those things, those worries, they have the capacity to just melt away. Oh, not that we won't go chasing them. Not that we won't treat them like a helium-filled balloon with a very, very long string. And we, we let go of the balloon, but we're holding onto the string. And the balloon's floating away. And we say, oh, look, our worries are going away. I don't worry about those things anymore. Oh, yeah. But a life of purpose, a life of kingdom living, a life of seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, I'm telling you, this is where it is. So you can fill in the blank this morning. What is the most important thing in our own lives and in the life of this church going forward? Is it the election on Tuesday? No. 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 It's seeking first God's plan and his purposes for our life together. That's supposed to be the most important thing. Pray with me.